Cook County Jail is probably one of the evilest places in the city of Chicago. And here I was in Cook County Jail in this supermax division where all the high-profile criminals are held. And I went to this living unit, and there was something remarkably different about this place. Welcome to this week's edition of First Person. I'm Wayne Shepard. My guest today is Corey Buchanan, and we'll hear his story in just a few moments. Every week on this program, we meet people who, although they have divergent personalities and different circumstances in life, they all have found meaning and purpose through placing their faith in Jesus Christ and turn their lives over to His kingdom purposes. If you're not familiar with First Person, we have a website that will give you additional information. At firstpersoninterview.com, you can read more about each week's guest. You can listen to the interviews anytime and check the schedule of upcoming guests. That's all found at firstpersoninterview.com. And then these programs are also available as a podcast through iTunes, or you can use our smartphone app for the iPhone or Android devices to listen to First Person. And then to leave a comment, use our Facebook page, facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. Well, our guest today is Corey Buchanan, a young man whose life has been turned upside down by Christ. You'll hear Corey tell his story now as he joins me in conversation. Well, well, Wayne, I grew up in Chicago um, on the south side in a community called Woodline, uh, single-parent home. Um, I had— Your mother in the home? Yep, single single mother. Uh, She worked day and night to take care of the bills. I had four other siblings. Uh, only one was actually um, a child, and the other three were, were adults. But my mother took care of all of us. Mm. Um, so in my neighborhood, any day or night, I could look outside and find someone selling drugs, uh, prostituting. Uh, actually, I didn't even have to look outside. I could go to the apartment next door, apartment upstairs, and look in my backyard. Mm. It was all around me. Uh, all of my friends growing up um, aspired not to be— Actors or policemen or firefighters or doctors or nurses, they wanted to be drug dealers and gangbangers. Mm, that was normal for you. So it was very easy for me to also want to be a drug dealer and a gangbanger. Um, so at the early age of 11, I had already started, had a, a drinking habit. By the 13, 14, I was smoking marijuana and involved in, in gangs and in drugs. At the age of 15, I was arrested for the first time facing a criminal charge, uh, one day when I was 17 years old, me and two other friends of mine, we had started a, a gang war, well, a drug war. Um, there was a particular area where we wanted to sell drugs in this area, but there was another gang that was selling drugs there. So every night we would go and shoot up this neighborhood. One particular night we went to go shoot up the neighborhood, and um, we did that and stayed. Stayed there, and we had this idea. We said, well, some of these uh, men who hang out in this neighborhood, they they also hang out in this apartment. We should go in the apartment and kill everybody in the house. Mm-hmm. So we devised a plan to go into this apartment to do that. In order to get in the building, a young lady would have to come downstairs to open the door. It was her, her apartment. Um, so one of my friends, he was talking to her to get her to come downstairs. And while he was talking to her, me and another guy, we were hiding in two bushes that was opposite each other. He was talking to her, and for some reason, a guy came out the side door and got into an argument with me. Well, he, he got a, we got into this heated argument that led from being at the front of his door all the way 
to the middle of the courtyard. And when my friend seen me arguing with him or heard me, he came running back. He left the young lady who was talking to him from the window, and he said, this guy's a police officer. As soon as he said that, this police officer, he pulled out a gun and he pulled it, placed the gun next to my head. For some reason, I got extremely furious that he would pull a gun out on me and hold it to my head, and I broke free from him. Uh, he didn't know I had a gun on me, and another guy had a gun on him, and right then and there, we got into a shootout with this police officer. By the grace of God, we we, we got away. Um, and I only say by the grace of God, we got away is that we didn't, we wasn't killed uh, that day. Was anybody wounded? Nobody, nobody was wounded or injured. Um, and that was really only by the grace of God. Which you knew um, nothing about at the time, right? Nothing about it at the yeah. time. The next afternoon, I was arrested for attempted murder on a police officer. Oh. So I was 17 years old, was arrested for attempted murder on a police officer, went to Cook County Jail. Um, Cook County Jail This ha- happens to be the largest jail site in the country. It houses about 11,000 men and women on a daily basis. Uh, here I was in Cook County Jail. They sent me to a super maximum security division uh, where they housed all the high-profile criminals. And you're 17 years old. 17 years old. And just as you said, it was just how I felt. At that point, I realized that I was 17 years old. Mm. I had been living like a grown man, but I really wasn't a grown man. I was a child, and and I, and I was scared, disappointed, really did not understand or know what would really happen to me and knowing the seriousness of the charges that I was facing. When I first got to the county, I walked into my cell, and there was a Hispanic gentleman at the bottom bunk. Apparently, I was going to have the top bunk. And as soon as I walked in the cell and the door closed, he pulled a knife out of the top bunk. He had a knife in, in the jail cell. He had a knife in the jail cell. The knife was about as long as my forearm. Oh, my goodness. Um, and and so him and I, we began to talk right away. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I found out that he was in a in a brothering gang as mine, and he began to school me on what the morning would look like mm-hmm. and what it would be like to, to be in jail. So that morning, got up, uh, got introduced to the jail and, and everything that was there. The problem was that every night I had to deal with my consequences and the decisions and the choices that I made. Now, what surprised me about being in jail was that the same foolishness that was on the streets was the same foolishness that was also in the jail. It was in a different form, mm-hmm. uh, but they still had drugs in jail. They uh, made homemade alcohol, uh, jailhouse alcohol. Um, that was violence and craziness. So I found a way to get involved in that foolishness as a way to medicate my own pain. Uh, but it didn't work. A- every night I still had to deal with my choices and my consequences and not knowing if I would ever hug my mother again, not knowing if I would ever uh, go to college and just experience what uh, a normal young adult would experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so after a year, after a year of being incarcerated and after a year of seeing— individual- Are you waiting for trial all this time? I'm waiting for trial after this time. And during this year, I'm seeing individuals go to court and come back with 80 years, 120 years, 220 years, and natural life. And at 17 years old, that just frightens you all the more. You must have given up. 
Yeah, I, I, I had given up, and you know, you have some some resemblance of hope, um, but you really don't know what hope is. You kind of have luck, and, and but nothing really looks good. And the only thing you can see is that what your friends and what others are coming back, what kind of reports they have when they come back from court. So only conclusion I could come up with was that maybe this living unit I'm on is cursed. <laughs> maybe there's just something wrong. Everybody here is going to prison for uh, huge amounts of time. And only thing I can think is that one day I'll be next. One day I'll go to court and I'll come back with a report that I got 30, 40, 50 years. So I concluded it was a curse. So I said, well, maybe if I leave this particular living unit and go to another living unit, then maybe things will be a little better. So I devised the plan and uh, got moved, got moved to one living unit, another living unit. The living unit that they moved me to, I really didn't want to be there either. Um, As soon as I walked in the cell, I thought, I really don't want to be here. Officer came, knocked on my door and said, Corey, how would you like to go to AF? At the time, it didn't really register to me what AF was. Only thing I heard was A. And A is a certain section within the jail. And what I knew about that A section was that they had a little more marijuana. (laughs) So I figured, I would love to go there. I could medicate my pain a little more. So I, I got my bags, and I'm on my way to this a section and it dawned on me what this a section was it was a christian living unit it was a place where men who were in this building that they would go there because they wanted to be discipled what prompted the guard to ask you about going there i don't know i don't know i never did you ever talk to him again no i never talked to him again about that maybe he was an angel (laughs) (laughs) I, i knew the guard his actions wasn't angelic, <laughs> um, but but definitely that that invitation was an invitation from God. I didn't know it then, but sh- when I got to AF, I did. So I'm carrying my my bags, and I'm going to to this living unit. Um, and as I'm thinking, this is a Christian living unit. At that point, I'm thinking in my head, I don't really want to live the life of a Christian. You knew what that would mean. I knew what that would mean. Yeah. So I devised another plan. If you had to guide it by now, I'm full of plans. <laughs> so I said, well, I just won't cooperate and they'll kick me they'll kick me off of this living unit. I walked in the living unit and to my surprise, that there was a piece that was there that I knew nothing of. I couldn't explain it. I couldn't put my it was finger palpable. on it. You could feel it. You could feel it. You could see it. It was this place was different. Cook County Jail is probably one of the evilest places in the city of Chicago. And here I was in Cook County Jail, evilest place in the city of Chicago, in this supermax division where all the high-profile criminals are held. And I went to this living unit, and there was something remarkably different about this place. We'll find out what that is as we continue talking with Corey Buchanan today here on First Person. Last year, the Far East Broadcasting Company received over 2 million responses to its broadcasts, reaching people throughout Asia and beyond. And the stories they tell of lives changed by the gospel and the new hope and purpose they have found in Christ is outstanding. When you visit FirstPersonInterview.com, be sure to click on the FEBC banner. Find out about the daily devotional, How Shall They Hear?, telling many of these stories. That's the FEBC banner at FirstPersonInterview.com. 
My guest today is Corey Buchanan. Uh, Corey has a remarkable story of growing up in Chicago, getting on the wrong side of the law, and yet you are a graduate of the Moody Bible Institute involved in prison ministry at Cook County Jail, the very place where you were once incarcerated. All right, now you you uh, you found yourself in this uh, Christian part of the jail, and it was a different place for you. Pick up the story, Corey. I walked in. place was... Instantly, I knew it was different. The Spirit of God was there. I didn't know it was the Spirit of God. Definitely a sense of God's peace. Did you know? Any, did you have any church background? Any? I did. Understanding. I had, I had some. I had some church background. I actually went to private school from fourth grade to twelfth grade. Okay. So I, I understood that that Christ died for my sins and that He rose from the dead. But I had no real examples mm-hmm. of what that looked like. So I, I did hear about the Lord at school, but I seen something else at home. Yeah. What was it about this part of the, the jail that just stood out to you? As soon as I walked in the door, a gentleman come running down the stairs. I hadn't known him from being on the other living unit. He was one of the rare individuals that would come to, particularly to this building. Uh, he really didn't belong there, but they didn't have space anywhere else. And so his name was Jody. I said, Jody, what are you doing back in here? Jody said, I beat up my girlfriend again. I said, oh, okay. Jody took me to his cell. And Jody told me, he says, hey, I've been here for a few weeks. And when I got here, somebody came to my cell and they prayed for me. And he said, man, I, I'm changing my life. He said, I, wanted, I want you to read this letter that, that I wrote my girlfriend when I first got here. The letter was something like, hey, if you think I beat you up bad this time, wait till next time. Mm-hmm. And then he said, after the guy prayed with me, I, I wrote this letter. And it was more of a letter to saying, hey, look, I need to get my life together. I need to get focused and and." and uh, build a relationship with the Lord. And I told Jody at that point, I said, Jody, that's good for you. And I, I left out of his cell and I was still wrestling within myself because I didn't really want to live a, a Christian life. But being there on that living unit, three times a day, the men would gather out themselves, 48 men, and they would spend 15 to 20 minutes in praise and worship, singing songs to the Lord and praying and reading scriptures three times a day. And then it would be early in the morning, and after we would have praise and worship, there would be chaplains and ministers who would come in to lead Bible studies um, there. And then when they left, there would be another round in the evening, and then we would have worship service. It was like Bible boot camp. <laughs> All right? It was it was serious. It was intense. Uh, we're going to have to leave out a lot here, but you but you eventually were, were won over, right? I mean, was what, what did it take? I had already been incarcerated for a little over a year now. And one day I was in my cell, and I was still every night dealing with this pain and these burdens of my consequences and my choices. But something shifted. My the, the burden that I had was no longer about the consequences and the decision that I had made that had gotten me in, in prison or in jail. It was more so about the fact that God wanted my life, mm-hmm. that every night I was burdened by the fact that God wanted my life. And one day I was in the cell all by myself, and the Lord spoke to me. Uh, it wasn't in the audible voice like Corey. I, I know, but, I know, but it's clear, isn't but it? God spoke. He spoke in my heart, and yeah. He said, "Corey, you can't kick against the golds." <laughs> um, and it's the same thing that the Lord told Saul. Mm-hmm. Um, how, what, how I understood that to mean then was that if I kicked the brick wall, then I was only going to hurt myself. And at that point, I was 18 years old. I hurt my feelings more than anything mm-hmm. to know that that I can hurt myself far worse than what I had already done. So at that point, I, I got on my knees and I said, Lord, whatever you want to do in my life, you can do it. 
just do it slowly. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it won't hurt too much, right? <laughs> my life was changed, though. That 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 day, God God changed my heart. Um, my, my my lifestyle needed a lot of work. Um, was it that sudden for you? It, it was that sudden, and, and, and what it was was that my intentions was different. I wanted to know, I wanted to know the Lord, and and I wanted uh, to know what His will was for me. It took me a, a while to come to understand to understand those things. And when I got out of the cell, I I still acted the same way, uh, but I found myself every night reading the Bible. Mm-hmm. I found myself wanting to be in Bible study and wanting to know what was God's will for me. And one by one, God began to change me. I, I left the gang alone while I was in jail, stopped smoking cigarettes and marijuana and, and drinking alcohol and, and stopped cursing. And, and God just began to change me. He began to, to, to cleanse me. And he took me to the point where the, the goodness that I was experiencing from spending time with him and his word, that I wanted to share that with other people. Did your friends and family see this as a typical jailhouse conversion or did they, did they understand what was really going on? They didn't really know what was going on until I got out. I think they they heard what I said, but if they really received it, they didn't know. And, and to be honest, I couldn't focus on if they believed me or not. Yeah. Um, you had your hands full with yourself. When when I came home, by the grace of God, in, in 2001, my sister was sick. She was 40 pounds. She was, she was dying from HIV, mm-hmm. and uh, she didn't know the Lord. And uh, she came to know the Lord on, on her deathbed, and— and the, and the Lord raised her up, and she she was able to have a relationship with the Lord for a year before she passed on and went home to be with the Lord. Wow. Um, By the way, how were you released? What were the circumstances? Yeah, well, after um, I was incarcerated for three years, awaiting trial, and um, I, I I began to believe God for six years. My case carried a minimum of twenty years and a maximum of eighty years. I honestly I was guilty, and I knew I was guilty. I, I talked to the Lord eventually about it and said, Lord, I, I know I'm guilty. Eventually I, I told my lawyer, I know that I'm guilty and, and uh, I don't know what that would mean, but I'd rather go with the truth than a lie. And uh, I believe God for six years. I wrote it down I, and uh, I knew God didn't owe it to me. Uh, but one day I went to court. The judge gave me six years uh, for, for my case. The story is that the original offer was 60 years and it went from 60 to 10 to 7 and then eventually I, I ended up getting six years, and uh, I was released uh, August 16th of uh, 2001. So how long did you serve? Three years. Three years. So that was um, it was off on good behavior? I mean, what? Well, they, they give you six years at 50%. So you oh, have to okay. do 50% of your time. I see. Okay. And, and what I did was that other 50% was on parole. Okay. So you left jail a changed man. A changed man. What's happened since? Well, since then, one of the people that I met while I was in this Christian living unit was a gentleman named Garland Singleton. Garland Singleton was a teacher here at Moody Bible Institute. I remember meeting Garland, sure. And this is where I was introduced to Moody Bible Institute. I remember Garland Singleton saying to a group of guys, I'm praying to maybe leave Moody. And I heard him say that, and I started praying, Lord, keep him at Moody <laughs> until I can get out and go. So you were discipled by him? He was he was one of the men who came in to teach teach Bible study. Hmm. One of the men who who actually was a part of my strong discipleship was Dan Sweats. He's the executive director for Chicagoland Prison Outreach. I met Garland Singleton. I got out, gave Garland a call, enrolled in Moody Bible Institute. 
there were other men who I had met while I was there. Men like Dan Sweat, who was with Chicagoland Prison Outreach, Steve Thompson, uh, and just others, and just wanted to get connected to them. I know some them. of these men. They're fine men yeah. and really have a heart for the Lord, I know. Yeah. So now, I mean, we only have a couple minutes left, sure. but now this is what you do, right? You this go is, back to jail now. This is what I do. For the last 11 years, God has privileged me with the opportunity to go back into the jail every day and to, to lead men and women to Christ. What does it mean to the men who are there to know that you were once where they are now? It means a lot. I think it it, it gives them hope. When I when I was incarcerated and I met Steve Thompson and I heard his story of how God changed his life and transformed him, I thought of I said, man, if God can do it for him, then he can do it for me. And I think the same thing. I think men realize, hey, if God can change his life, then then God can change my life as well. So when you go into Cook County Jail now and you look at some of these men, look them in the eye, you don't see a loser. You don't see somebody who's destined to spend uh, the rest of their life in jail. You see somebody whose life can be redeemed by Christ. I see somebody that was made in God's image and, and, and in God's likeness and that God loves them. And, and at the same power of the gospel that met me in the jail cell is the same gospel power that can meet them where they're at and can transform their lives. Tell me about one of the men you've most recently talked with and communicated this hope of Christ to their life. There's one gentleman. His name his name is Donald. I, I met Donald. I met Donald at the jail. Donald Donald has a has a trach. Uh, Donald was in a wheelchair at the time. And when I met Donald, Donald said, "Man, I, we we want a Bible study really bad." And I said, "Okay, Donald, I'll, I'll do a Bible study here." Um, on this particular day, but you got to get everybody together. So I would come in and Donald would be in his wheelchair and he'd be rolling down the hallway, Bible study, Bible study, <laughs> Bible study. First time I sat with this group of men that Donald pulled together for a Bible study, um, we opened up the Word of God and we opened up the story about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And we talked about them understanding the Word of God and the need of having people come to teach. And those men at that point, they started crying because as the word of God was open to them, they knew that that this is what they needed, not just freedom. They needed something more and something more deeply. Since then, Donald has been released and and stay in relationship and connection with with Donald, and he has a family and a wife. And now me and Donald, we meet uh, every two weeks for a Bible study. You feel like your life is being well spent? I, I, I know that God didn't set me free just for me to be free. But he allowed me to be free so I can do his work and do his will. Thanks for listening to Corey Buchanan's story today. Everyone's testimony has a unique way that God chooses to reach into a life and call people to his kingdom. And hearing Corey today reminds all of us that no matter how hopeless a situation might seem, God is always working, even when it appears otherwise. If you'd like to listen again to today's interview or share it with someone else, visit our website, firstpersoninterview.com. There in the archive, you'll find today's conversation along with all the other guests we've had on this program. Plus, when you visit firstpersoninterview.com, you'll see the schedule of what's coming up in the weeks ahead. And there's another way to hear this program each week, and that is to use our smartphone app for iPhone or Android. Just search for First Person Interview in your device's app store. Now, with thanks to our programming partner, the Far East Broadcasting Company, and with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. We'll see you next time for First Person.